So let's um, let's start with a prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we're so happy to all be here and we thank you for the amazing uh, food that's been put on. Uh, we thank you for Shay and Leah doing that and we pray, Father, that you will now open our eyes to your word and that again we will meet your spirit and encounter your son and be filled with your ways and resolve to go your way and not the way of the flesh. To your glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So, we've been looking at Acts, and we saw how the Lord Jesus died and rose again, and the disciples went out and, and preached that. And loads of people got baptised. And it's amazing, all these people getting, uh, getting baptised. But then the Jews started to persecute them and get all cranky with them. And one of their early leaders was Stephen. And they say that, Stephen, you're, you're blaspheming the, the holy temple. Well, their idea, you see, was that there were certain spaces that were holy. And the temple was very holy. The land of Israel was also very holy. And it all depended on whether you were in the temple or whatever. That that to them was absolutely critically important. And of course, that's the stuff of religion. The point is, of course, that God is present absolutely everywhere. Wherever you are, there God is. And that is holy ground where you walk upon. And so they grab Stephen and they say, are these things so? And he now gives a long answer. And he could have just said, no, I wasn't doing anything wrong to the temple. I don't want to die. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to go to prison. Uh, But instead, he tries to appeal to these Jews that that are trying him. And he goes through the history of Israel right from the beginning. And one of the things he brings out is that a lot of the great Jewish fathers, like Abraham and Moses, were in fact very weak. You see, the Jews are given the impression, we are the holy, pious people. And uh, yes, we are your elders, we are the priests, we are very pious. And you say, you know, all the heroes of God were actually very weak people. The other theme that he keeps pushing on is that actually anywhere is holy. Where you are, that is where God is specially present with you. So get away from this idea of religion, that you need a physical temple. You need this, you need that. No, not at all. So he says, brothers and fathers, listen. Now you notice straight away he builds a bridge with them. The first word he says is brothers. These were the guys who just crucified the Lord Jesus um, you know, a few months before, and were persecuting him. But he says, look, we're brothers. They were Jews, and they were humans. So, brothers. And that's the thing. You've got to bridge build with people. That we are all not particularly different from each other, in that sense. So he says, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, leave your land and your kindred and your family, and go into the land which I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, God sent him into this land, that's Israel, wherein you now dwell. So he says the God of glory appeared to Abraham, not when Abraham lived in Israel, but when he lived in Mesopotamia, what we would call Iraq today. So he's saying that, look, God in all his glory appeared there in Iraq, in Mesopotamia, not in Israel, to our father Abraham. So his point is, no, no, God can, 
God can reveal his glory in any situation. And I, you know, struggle with the idea that you get, particularly in mainland Europe, of the idea of what they call a prayer house. They call a church a prayer house. House of prayer. Um, you think, well, what's the idea of this? That I, I've got to walk or drive or get a bus or a tram to the prayer house, go into the prayer house, and then I can pray to God. And then, oh, whoops, my time's up, and I go home. Like you do your religion in a house, in, in four walls. No, that's not at all the idea. You can pray to God anywhere, right? You don't need to go into four walls and, oh, there, there is God. And looking at it another way, you can see people going to church, and we can all do this, um, and they are very caught up in their sort of religious feeling while they're in church. Maybe they are Catholic, go, go through certain rituals. Maybe they are Pentecostal, or go through, oh, I'm, I'm slain in the spirit, oh man, I'm, I'm so spiritual. But the point is, for some of those folks on Monday morning, their life is not at all distinguishable from that of the guy next to them. They do the same thing, do the same sins, look the same, talk the same, etc. Now you see, that's religion. But of course, what God wants is for us to be completely with him all the time, 24-7. Because he is with us, 24-7. We can tend to think that just because I only think of God a few times per day, therefore... God only thinks of me a few, few times a day. But that's not the case. He is on our case all the time. Absolutely all the time. And so, <coughs> he says, Abraham was living in, uh, in what he calls Mesopotamia, what we would call Iraq. And God says to him, leave your land and your family. So, God also gives him promises. He says, and I will give you a land that you will inherit forever. And I will give you a descendant, a seed, who will become many, as many as the stars in the sky. So he says, if you leave your land and your family, I'll give you a land where you will live forever. And I will give you this amazing family that's going to have this descendant in it who the New Testament tells us is Jesus. So, you can see why Paul says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. The things about the kingdom of God and the things about the Lord Jesus. The land, the promise of eternal inheritance of the land, plus the things of the Lord Jesus, the great seed of Abraham. But, he says, I'll give these things to you if you leave your family, your natural family, and if you leave your natural land. And I'll take you to another land. And I'll give you a new family. And his wife Sarah was actually barren at this time. So, what did Abraham do? Did he say, oh yeah, sure, I will take the uh, leap of faith and I will do that? Well, not really. His faith wasn't that strong. For one thing, he leaves, okay, he leaves his homeland, but he takes with him his father and his, uh, his nephew called Lot. So he doesn't actually fulfill that. He doesn't break with his family. And he leaves the, his homeland and he lives in a place called Haran for about 20 years. This is not in Israel. It's just on the way there. 
And it seems that, well, where they were living in Mesopotamia, there was other tribes attacking them, and it was not a bad thing to emigrate west a little bit. That's what he did. So he was not very obedient, really. And then he lives for 20 years there, and then he moves on. Only after his father dies. Well, I would suggest that, well, he should have, he's asked to leave his father, leave your whole family, uh, and I'll give you another land. Well, he doesn't really do that, but his father dies, so, well, that sort of happens. And then later on, him and Lot, his nephew, they have an argument, because they have got so many animals, there's not enough pasture for them, and Lot decides to leave Abraham. So you see, Abraham was sort of made to fulfill the conditions, even though he himself did not fulfill them of himself. It's like God wants you to be obedient, and he kind of make you that way. It's rather like, you know, you have a child and you say, now look, if you clean your room, and if you make your bed, I will give you this reward. You want to give them the reward anyway, so you see the kid, oh, not particularly doing it, so you, <laughs> you pretty well make the kid's bed for him, and you pretty well tidy the kid's room for him, pretty well, 90%, so you can give him what you want to give him. Right? And that is actually how God works with us. It's not as if he's, a, he's saying, look, here's the deal, if you're obedient to this, that, and the other, then I'll give you a reward. He's more proactive. He's like, look, I, I love you. And I want to give this to you, so therefore I will sort of make you obedient. And later on, Abraham says, God caused me to wander from my father's house. God made me leave. I was told to leave, but I only did so half-heartedly. God caused me to wander from my father's house. And I like that because it just shows how God actually makes you obedient. This is the work of the Spirit. That he wants, he loves us, he, he is proactive coming into our lives. And so we wonder, oh, I can't be good enough, I'm so weak, I'm not this, I'm not that. Yeah, you are weak, and you're not this and you're not that, but God wants you. And he will do all he can, as I say, like with the child, who you try to... You know, get the kid to tick the boxes so you can give the kid what you want to give the kid. Why? Because you love the kid, right? And so that is how it is between God and man. So, he he goes on to say, verse 5, God gave him no inheritance in the land, no, not enough to set his foot up. But he promised he would give it to him in possession and to his seed after him when he had no child. How does that work out? God promised to give Abraham everlasting inheritance. There's some seats down here, guys. There's some spare, two spare chairs there. God promised to give him, promised to give him eternal inheritance, eternal life in, in the land of Israel. But Abraham died and did not receive what God had promised. But God keeps his promises. And how that's going to be fulfilled, the New Testament explains, is that he will be resurrected from the dead. He'll be resurrected and 
in a bodily form, he will live forever. So God will keep his promises, but Stephen says he didn't get it in this life. And that's a big challenge. He didn't get it in this life. And that's the case with all of us, that you don't get it in this life. And if you want, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't have, have it now and forever. But of course, that's what we want, isn't it? Oh, I want it now. I want it right now. And so there's arisen this sort of idea that, uh, oh yeah, God wants to give it to you now. You can, have, you can have it all now. You have a wonderful life now uh, with wealth and health and blessing. And then you can also have it um, in the future. Well, that's not what happened to Abraham. He didn't get it now. He, it said he got no inheritance. And in fact, when his wife died, Sarah, he actually had to buy, at great expense, he had to actually buy a plot of land on which to bury her. So, if we look at Jesus Christ and we look at uh, religion, if you like, thinking, I, I wonder if I could get something out of it for myself now. <coughs> Physically, no. Well, that's what I believe. Uh, and Abraham didn't get it. And that's not how God works. I think we're all tired of being told by pastors, this is your month of financial breakthrough. This is your month of financial blessing. You're going to get really wealthy this month. Oh, whoops, it doesn't happen. Oh, whoops, <laughs> this isn't even my year of financial blessing. No, it, it's, not, it's not all now. Um, I'm not, the, the spiritual blessings that we have right now are all joy and peace through believing. Being so filled with the Spirit in, in a spiritual sense that actually it doesn't matter. I'm so blessed and so filled with Him and His Spirit that whether I am sick, healthy, rich, poor, apparently lucky, unlucky in business life or whatever part of life we have, don't make any difference because I've got all things in Jesus Christ. I've got everything and I'm good. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. It is simply not so that if you believe in Jesus, you will go outside and find, you know, 20 quid note line on the pavement. That's just not how it is. When I was little, when I was a little boy, um, I, I had this idea that that's what would happen. And I used to pray. I, I knew there was a verse in the Bible that said something about God likes the prayers of little children or something like that. And so I, uh, I got down on the carpet, and I remember it was a red carpet that we had at home where I grew up. And I prayed with all my little heart. I, I squeezed my eyes up tight and I put my hands together really tightly. And I said, God, may I open my eyes and may there be a five pound note on the carpet. And I thought, you know, definitely I believed. Don't tell me I didn't believe. Don't tell me I didn't believe enough. I believed. With the faith of a child, I believed. Do not tell me I did not believe enough. Don't say, I didn't happen because you didn't believe. No, I did believe with all my little heart. And I was like, I was like, and there's no five pound note there. And I've tried again and again. And there was no five pound note. Because God is not a bank machine, right? God is not an ATM where you know the magic number. Ah, because I've, I've got Jesus. Hop, hop, hop. Oh yeah, and out spits 200 quid. That's not how it is. 
And I meet a lot of disillusioned Christians who thought, well, that is what it was all about. So I it didn't work for me. No, it didn't work for you, because that's not actually what's on offer. That's not what was on offer. I also used to pray, by the way, outside my little bedroom window, it had been a, a small little uh, council house, and outside the bedroom window there was a, a, a lamppost. And I also used to pray, God, make that lamppost fall over. I command you, lamppost, in the mighty name of Jesus, fall over. Now, fortunately, it didn't fall over. It might have hit some old lady on the head or, or smashed somebody's window, car window. So, fortunately, that wasn't a... What I'm saying is that, that God, it, this is the stuff of spiritual childhood. You don't go around commanding lampposts to fall over or five-pound notes. Well, which in my day, if you had a fiver, you, you've got everything. You, know. you didn't, you know, it doesn't go like that. It doesn't work like that. And you look at Abraham, who, yeah, went God's way, but he did not receive the inheritance. He died, Paul says in Hebrews, in faith, not having received what God promised, knowing that he would receive it in the future. This is the thing. That, yes, I'm not saying God does not work in human life. Absolutely. He's working all the time. To encourage us that he is real. That God is absolutely real. And that yes, these things shall come true in their time. But faith is, as Paul says, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is not about what you see. Because if you see it, then it is not of faith. There is no faith. If it's written right in front of you. People say, oh, well, you know, where's the evidence that there's a God? Well, no, what would you expect? You know, uh, ten bulletproof reasons, or do you expect to see God standing behind a cloud up in the sky? No. You don't see God sitting on a cloud in the sky, right? You can't see God. You can only believe in God. People say, oh, well, uh, so I don't believe. Okay, so don't believe. But if you want the physical evidence before you believe, well, then that's not faith. That's not faith. And so... Abraham is set up, actually, as our example. And he's promised that he's going to have, actually, as many children as there are stars in the sky and as there's grains of sand on the seashore, when he had no child. And his wife was barren. The other thing that you only learn a bit later is that his wife, Sarah, was actually his half-sister. His half-sister. She's very dodgy. You know? I would have thought that that was just not the sort of bloke that I would have chosen to work with if I were God. I wouldn't have chosen Abraham. He's married to his half-sister, so they're going to have trouble getting pregnant. And if they do manage to get pregnant, the child may very well be deformed as a result. And God says, ah, I'm going to work with this guy. Like God looked down from heaven. He looked over the UK. He looked over all the... Native American Indians, he looked over the folks in Africa, he looked here, he looked there, and he finds this bloke in Iraq who is married to his half sister, right? And uh, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll go with this one, and I'm going to give him a wonderful seed, a wonderful huge family, and out of him eventually, through the generations, will come Mary, who will be the mother of my own son. Wow, that's not how I would have worked. I would have said, no, it's slightly dodgy, that bloke. No, I think I'll just, I'll work with a standard person. 
But you see, God works with the non-standard. This is typical. This is his style. And Abraham was most definitely the non-standard. Definitely. I mean, you know, to your sister, you're definitely something not quite right there, right? Not quite what you do. Um, and yet through that, of course, he didn't have a child. No surprises, they couldn't get pregnant. But God says, okay, but through you, you will have a child. And eventually they, they do have Isaac. Then he goes on. God spoke in this way that his seed, his many descendants, would live in a strange land and that they would bring them into bondage and treat them badly 400 years. That's talking about how Jacob's descendants, uh, the children of Israel as they were then called, went into Egypt and they were there 400 years, they were in slave camps, they were whipped, they were abused and so forth. And the nation to which they shall be in bondage will I judge. And after that, they'll come out and serve me in this place. So, I think, getting back to Stephen, arguing with these people about what's holy space, he's saying, you know what, God was working with a guy in Iraq who became Abraham, and then, okay, well, him and his, well, his descendants did live for a bit in Israel, and then they went into Egypt for 400 years. Was I with them? Absolutely. I was with them. In Egypt, not in Israel, not in the temple, I was there. So bringing all this together, God is involved with us in all our non-standard situations. And you see how it was through all that that there came the Lord Jesus as the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, etc. Who was, if you like, the ultimate in non-standard, being a non-standard person, you know? His mother, Mary, everyone thought she was a whore or thought she was, she'd had an affair with a Roman soldier because she said, you know what, guys, I'm pregnant. But you know what, I'm the only woman on earth who got pregnant without sleeping with a man. Do you think anyone believed her? No. And so Jesus grew up with all that, you know, around him. But, you know, your mum was a whore. Your mum uh, had an affair with a Roman soldier. No, that's not the case. Okay, that's what it looks like. Fair enough, that's what it looks like. So, we're all non-standard people. And unravel the lives of all of us. I mean, you'd be take a very long time to even tell each other our stories. They're so complicated, and this happened, that happened, that is unbelievable. And we've all got our stories. These things have happened to all of us that you, you would never believe. Until you hear each other's stories, and until you see how God works in these kinds of ways. So, we're going to celebrate the work of the Lord Jesus through the bread that represents his body, and the juice that represents his blood. If you'd like to um, pass it out. Um, So, the bread represents the body of the Lord Jesus, and the cup... Represents his his blood, and it is all because of him that it all makes sense. It's because of him that everything comes together and makes sense. That he died for us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And we've been seeing how it's not a case of holy place. It's not a case of religion. 
It's a case of personal relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus. And this is what he was like. That he was followed by, what, 12 men around Israel and a few women, questionable women as well, apparently. And they became the church. It was fishermen like Peter. It was fishermen like Peter and simple folks, mixed up folks, whom he worked with. So then, we're just going to give, um, give a prayer of thanks for the bread and the juice. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for this bread that is the symbol of the body of Jesus and the cup that is the symbol of his blood. And we pray that you will go with us and that truly we might identify with your Son and that you will bring us to the great day when the promises to Abraham will be finally fulfilled in your kingdom. For Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 Amen.